Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders in their organizations to identify the trends that will most likely disrupt their business and develop business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends to create strategic advantage. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm delighted that today our guest is Jacqueline Carter. She's an international partner and North American director for the Potential Project. She has over 20 years of experience in working with organizations around the globe to enhance effectiveness and improve performance. Jacqueline is a regular contributor to business publications, including Harvard Business Review, and is a sought-after speaker for her thought leadership, knowledge, and engaging facilitation skills. And I am delighted that Jacqueline decided to join us today. So I want this Voice America series to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders that help them pre- Uh, prepare to lead their organizations and continue to evolve how they lead their organizations in these dynamic times. It's my belief that leadership is one of the biggest leverage points in navigating the complexities that we face, and it is only through continuing to evolve how we lead that we will be able to create a more positive future for ourselves and those who follow after us. So in addition to sharing models and our experiences, I invite you to find one thing from each segment that you can put into practice in your own leadership. So thinking about either how you update your behavior or how you update how you think about leadership that will filter into everything you do is the biggest opportunity for all of us to, to put this into practice and innovate how we lead in small steps rather than becoming obsolete as leaders. So for this session specifically, $46 billion a year is spent on leadership training, but the recent Gallup survey showed that up to 82% of employees find their leaders uninspiring. So why the gap? Because most leadership development focuses on outward skills like strategy, people management, and finance. Instead, the new research shows that leadership should start inward with the mind. So based on extensive research, including assessments of more than 35,000 leaders and interviews with 250 C-level executives, the book, The Mind of the Leader, How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results, released by Harvard Business Press in March on March 13th of 2018, by Rasmus... Hogard and Jacqueline, correct me if I got that wrong, and Jacqueline Carter reveals how leaders can lead themselves, their people, and their organizations by training their minds. And on this show, we've focused in the past on, and specifically, the mind of the leader. So this is an addition and a deepness and richness 
that that Jacqueline's going to add to the conversation. So welcome, Jacqueline. Thank you so much, Maureen. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So let's jump right in. Why is understanding how the mind works crucial for leaders to drive uh, results? Well, basically, everything we do starts with the mind, right? So any results that you want to get, whether it's at work or as a leader or in your life, all of our actions are basically, you can trace them back to how we show up, what we pay attention to, and, of course, the quality of our attention. And not just what we pay attention to, but also how we manage our distractions, what we don't pay attention to is equally important. And not only that, really making sure, of course, that we know that anything that we look at, there's many different ways to to look at any experience. And from a leadership perspective, if we walk into every situation with a busy mind, which is what most leaders have under pressure, you know, daily back-to-back meetings, inbox, overwhelm, um, we'll be habitual in terms of how we do things. We won't necessarily come up with the great ideas that we need as leaders today to face the challenges, and we certainly won't see ourselves or our people with more potential. So everything starts with the mind. You know, I just came out of a meeting a couple hours ago, and uh, the person I was meeting with talked about this being a point where she is deprioritizing and trying to offload things that she used to find valuable just to navigate the current focus. Can you say a little bit about that? Because it sounds like busy minds are not our friend when we don't have time to reflect. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, so in in the book, what we found when we, as as you articulated in terms of the research that we did and the C-suite executives, we found three core qualities that were really critical for leaders today. And the first one is fundamentally being present. And if you're busy, which basically means because, you know, you and I could be talking right now, but one of us could not fully be here, right? We could be thinking about (laughs) the next interview that you might need to do or whatever it is. So this idea of the starting point for any leadership journey is actually about overcoming the natural busyness. You know, we all have lots to do, many things that we're juggling and trying to manage but the ability to fully be here right now, because right now is all we have, and we need to make sure that as leaders we make the absolute best use of our precious time. So one of the things that we talk about is, you know, it used to be, you know, survival of the fittest, and it's really now survival of the focused. And I think that what you were articulating about the meeting that you just came from, this idea of being really prioritized, not only in terms of what we take on, what we do, what we say yes to, what we say no to, but really coming back to how we manage our minds so that when we show up, we're focused, we're calm, we're clear-minded so that we can make the best use of our, of our precious time. I love that idea, survival of the focused, because it, it, I am certainly guilty of multitasking more than <sighs> I'd like to admit. Right. Okay, so let's move on to the next then. What did neuroscience reveal to you about the mind of effective and ineffective leaders? Well, I think that from a neurological perspective, starting with this idea of focus is that we do know that it's very easy for us to be distracted. You mentioned multitasking. When our mind, when we've got lots to do, as we know that most of us as leaders do, our mind does have a tendency to want to try to do them all at the same time. And sadly, and I'm so sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but you can't multitask. Nobody else can. It's just not the way, from a neurological perspective, it's not the way that our mind works. 
And when we try to do that, what the science actually tells us is that we end up being less efficient, uh, less effective, we make more mistakes. And so one of the, you know, and, and a lot of these things, intuitively we know, but because of the pressure that we're facing, you know, we try to do it anyway. We try to, you know, we try to, you know, just send that text while we're driving, which we all know is a really bad idea, but we still try to do it because we're under so much pressure. And so I think that, you know, that's the starting point. And the book, we really did, we, we interviewed um, neuroscientists, we really wanted to, we poured over a ton of research studies to really help us not just understand from an experiential perspective of what we heard from C-suite executives about how they manage their mind, but actually really looking into the science behind it. So one of the findings was around multitasking, and, um, and, and, and another one was specifically, which I think is also very interesting, is what happens from a mind perspective as we rise up the ranks. And one of the things that happens to us is, is that we begin to get a very self-inflated view of ourselves, which can be a real trap for us as leaders because we tend to think that we're very important. And, of course, we all are, but if as a leader it starts to be all about me and how important I am, I may or may not necessarily show up as the best kind of leader. So many other insights like that. Great. Um, and I may want to come back to some of those. Let's, let's look at the next question. How can leaders train their brain to lead more satisfied and engaged workforce? Yeah, so the basic, and, and the book includes, it's very practical, and it does include uh, specific training tools and techniques. The starting point is really training the mind for mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is really a training tool when we go into what we call the mental gym, we can train our mind to be able to overcome the natural tendency that we all have for our mind to wander, to be able to be more focused, more calm, more clear-minded. And that is really the starting point. What we know, again, from a research perspective is that leaders that are running around frantic, looking like they're on a hamster wheel and not necessarily the kind of leader that we want to follow, but the leaders that really have that centeredness, that sense of grounded, that, that presence, they're, they're here. Um, and that's trainable. That's really what the science also shows us is that no matter what our starting point is, we can train our mind to be able to be more calm, more clear, more focused. And so the most critical training to start off with is really the mindfulness training. You know, it's interesting. And early in my career, I remember someone advising me that I should always look busy. I should, <laughs> if I have to walk down the hall, I should look um, walk diligently and have a pad of paper. I can't tell you how many times I walk to the restroom fast with a pad of paper um, because we don't want to look like we're not purposeful. Right. And yet this seems to be not that we're, we are lacking purpose, but now it seems like the image is changing to seem a little bit more, um, well, you, certainly you said the word present, but also as if we're not always on fire. Well, exactly. And I think it's so interesting. You know, I guess, yes, times have changed. I mean, I certainly think that uh, right now, I don't think anybody questions whether anybody is busy. I mean, it's a badge of honor. You know, I think that so many of us, it's like when you say, how are you? If you don't say, if somebody were to say, I'm not busy at all, you would look at them like they had three heads or something. But I think what we find is that the real thing around busyness right now is how many of us are are just doing activity as opposed to doing things that are productive. And again, looking at it from a 
from a research perspective, there's studies that show that 41% of managers' time is spent on what they consider busy work as opposed to so being active as opposed to being productive. And that could be, you know, like how many meetings do you attend where you're sitting there thinking, I don't need to be here and this is a waste of my time or, or you know, managing your inbox and just a whole bunch of stuff that is just processing and not necessarily working towards achieving the larger objectives. So I do think that it's also it's it's a it's about our our current time that I don't think anybody has any, has any questions about people being busy. I think the key thing now is how are we making sure that we're focused on the right things and making sure that we get those things done and we leave a lot of the busy work to another time period. <laughs> So how do we do that? You've talked about mindfulness. Is that the primary lever? It really is. It's the starting point, as I said. Busyness is really in the mind. If I have 10 things that I absolutely have to get done today, but realistically, I can only get seven of them done, then for me to be stressed or frustrated because I've got 10 things that I need to do and I can only get seven of them done, I may feel busy, but really I'm just not accepting the reality that I can really only realistically get seven of those things done. And so from a mind training perspective, which is really what mindfulness helps you, it says focus on those seven things, let the three go, and you'll get to them when you get to them. But as opposed to what many of us do is we start engaging with the first one and are still stressed about the fact that we can't get, you know, 8, 9, and 10 done, and we end up being less efficient and less effective. So mindfulness training really helps us accept the reality of where we are, be able to let go of the clutter in our minds so that we can really show up and be as effective and efficient as we can moment to moment. Do you have specific techniques you recommend for mindfulness, or I realize there are a broad range of them. Is there a better or worse? Yeah, the training that we introduce is we recommend um, a very simple training that is basically, uh, we call it the ABCD of mindfulness training to make it dead simple, so easy to remember, and it's basically a practice where you use the breath as the object of your focus, and you focus on your breath. You simply stay with the breath, and whenever you're distracted, which will happen many times, you simply bring your attention by choice back to your breath. And what that does, it sounds so basic and so simple. Um, It's simple in principle. It's not so easy to do because we do get so distracted. But what it actually does, it's basically that's going to the gym for the mind. And again, what the research shows is that when we do that simple practice of bringing our attention back to the breath, getting distracted back to the breath, that's really like, you know, if you went into the gym and were lifting a 10-pound weight, in this, the weight is actually managing your attention and building your attentional muscle. So that's a simple place to start is really doing the training. But in addition to that, you know, you can also do that, like, for example, people listening to this interview today noticing that you're getting distracted. Can you bring your attention back to the interview because you are obviously interested to want to be able to listen into it? And if you can do that in practice, just like I was mentioning in the training, that also means you're being more mindful because you're continually remembering to bring your attention back to the object of your choice. So this sounds a lot like... Um... I've been a meditator for years. It sounds like what I've done in basic meditation, and and I have talked about it being weightlifting for the brain. Yeah. That I, I wouldn't consider not 
exercising for years on end. But we don't think about exercising our brain in the way our brain needs to be exercised to, to create focus. Exactly. And what I would say is that in today's day and age, it's getting more critical than ever. I think that right now what we're seeing is with the volume of, of distractions, the pressure, the radical change that we're seeing in every industry, is that the complexities, especially for leaders, it's just it's too much to just manage on your own. It's too much to manage without a well-trained, well-disciplined, highly functional mind because you'll simply get distracted by too many things throughout the day. You'll, you know, very few people can keep up with all the, you know, with the inbox or with the meetings that they're requested, let alone that, you know, report that new trend, that new industry trend that they really do need to read. When are they going to get to that? And so this is really about bringing mental fitness and mental discipline to be able to help us not just survive in, in our day-to-day leadership reality, but really to be able to thrive. Thank you. This is really helpful. I hope it is for our listeners. We are talking to Jacqueline Carter about her book and research, The Mind of the Brain, How to Lead Yourself, Your People, and Your Organization for Extraordinary Results. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf and Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf and Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We've been talking to Jacqueline Carter about her book, 
the mind of the leader, how to lead yourself, your people, and your organization for extraordinary results. The first segment, we talked a lot about mindfulness. Let's shift gears a little bit, Jacqueline, and talk now about selflessness and the research that you've done in this space. Yeah, thanks so much. So basically, I'll start out with a definition of what we mean by selflessness, and it's really not to let egoistic impulses rule us. And, and that's really important. As I mentioned earlier, what we found from a, from a scientific perspective, as I said, is that as there's a natural tendency, and neuroscience, neuroscientists can actually see how the brain works, that we tend, and it makes sense, to look at everything from a self-referential perspective, which makes sense. You know, this is happening to me, what is important to me, I, me, mine, which is, which is naturally the way the brain works. But from a leadership perspective, if it's all about me, then I'm not necessary. I should just be leading myself. Uh, I shouldn't be leading others because <laughs> really leadership, of course, should be about how can, how can I be of service to others? How can I support them in their development? How can I support them achieve their goals? Or how can we do that together? And what's really interesting, I think, starting out with the research is, like I said, this is actually hard. And the reason for that is when we look at, again, from a neurological perspective, what happens as we rise up the ranks in our, in our leadership is we tend to, tend to naturally get a bigger ego. And there's just many downsides, and this is a lot of what we found, is that if I have a really big ego, the first thing is it makes me vulnerable to criticism. So, Maureen, if you were to say, Jacqueline, I don't like you very much, I would get hurt by that. Um, it also makes me susceptible to manipulation. If, uh, if you wanted me to do something that was in your best interest that may or may not be in the organization's best interest, you could tell me that it would make me look good, and I might be willing to do that, or it might make me look bad, and so I wouldn't do it. But it also narrows our vision. We know, again, from a neurological perspective that we can be susceptible to something called confirmation bias. So if we have a big ego, we'll be looking for things that will specifically validate the things that we already want to see. So it narrows our ability to see from a broader perspective. And, and finally, it can corrupt our behavior. Again, if it's all about me, I might be looking at doing things that would be in my interest and not necessarily in the best interest of the organization. So all told, a lot of downsides of having a big ego in leadership and what we really found was selflessness is, is the quality that enables us to, to not let it be about us. And there's actually specific, again, getting back to going to the Mind Gym, training tools that you can use to help you create a greater awareness that as important as you are, it's, it can't be all about you. So I think back to the trusted advisor formula, and it, it, I don't remember exactly, but it was competence and consistency and something else, expertise maybe, uh, divided by the sense of selflessness. And, and if I seem to be a, if everything I do seems to be about self-promotion, then it doesn't matter how good I am, people will still distrust me. Yeah, exactly. And, and it really, what's interesting too is that, well, one of the things that we again found is that, you know, maybe a number of years ago, uh, a self-promotional leader you know, maybe people would follow that person if they were really successful and, and got great results. But we're really seeing a shift in terms of the, the next generation of, of not only leaders, but of course employees. They, they just, they don't have a lot of tolerance for that. They're really looking for a leader, 
um, that brings more humility, um, that brings more a sense of team, of, of us. And, and that's really you mentioned up front, talking about the engagement scores. I mean, one of the reasons why we see that is, and, and selflessness is a, real ant, is, a, is a real tool to be able to help increase engagement because it's really, it's about us, not about me. Actually, in the work that we've done, we have um, seven competencies of leadership, and the first is humility. Again, right. that, that idea of focusing on getting it right over being right and over doing the right thing for the organization above doing what's right for my own personal advancement. Exactly. And it can even be, you know, the most simple thing, like when an employee walks into your office and says, you know, Maureen, I've got a real challenge. Can you have the discipline, the mental discipline to not just want to give them the answer? Because, you know, that's the natural tendency that a leader does is like, I've got the answer to that question. And instead to really pause and hold back and maybe the right thing to say is, you know, Jacqueline, what do you think? What do you think of that problem? Or what have you already done? Or what have you explored? To make it an opportunity for development. Again, make it about them, not about you. It's a beautiful example because it is more efficient immediately to have the answer. And it feels good. It feels good. It's it's gratifying. Oh, you, you have a question for me. I'm super smart. I've got the answer. The ego goes, yippee, look at me. And <laughs> But from an engagement perspective and from a potential and development, it's not so good. Yeah, this is a good reminder since I'm giving a presentation tonight that I should be more questioning and less knowledgeable, uh, less... <laughs> Not that I show up and be dumb, but but less <laughs> focused on my ability to answer and more focused on engaging the group. Well, and, and it really is, and I think the message that we want to suggest to leaders is that we all know this. Like, of course, you know, we know we should be humble. We know we should be about others. But I think what we really found, and this was really inspiring when we looked at it from a research perspective, is what we want to say is that's hard. When you're... You know, when you're standing up there, let's say as a leader, you're the one giving, you know, the presentation on stage. Everybody's looking to you to have the answers. What's really interesting is your ego begins to give you a sense that, of your importance. And if you really want to overcome it, it's, it, it takes effort to do that. And you have to remember to say, you know, even though all of these people are looking to me to have the answers, I still need to remember that it's not all about me. And if I put myself in what we call the CEO bubble, I'm just going to prevent myself from being able to actually be of best service to myself because I can't, I'm not in this alone and to my organization. I, I love that idea that that it's really a disservice even if I have a, an answer to, to be the first one to jump in. Yeah, well, exactly. And the other thing, like I mentioned, the CEO bubble, um, I don't know if people can relate to that, but it was just so fun, the stories that we heard, you know, CEO sharing with us that as he, when he first got into the C-suite, he found that people would laugh more at his jokes, and he was quite sure that he was not funnier than he had been before. But it was just, you know, people treat you differently, and you don't hear what's going on. And, you know, it does, like, power does not only make it more difficult for you to necessarily be the leader that you want to be, but it also changes how people engage you and treat you. And so to really make it part of your leadership mantra to be to the extent that you can be, show up in a selfless way is, is really critical to leadership success today. 
So earlier on, you mentioned one of the antidotes goes back to mindfulness and those tools. Can you elaborate on that? On on the tools to specifically around selflessness? Yes. Yeah, so specifically, again, just like you can go to the mental gym to train your mind from a mindfulness perspective to be more calm, more clear, more focused, in the selflessness training, you go into the mental gym to specifically address the ego's tendency to think it's all about you. And it's actually, it's a beautiful practice, and it's something that you can do in the mental gym, but you can also just do it as a daily you know, gratitude exercise is just to to sit and reflect on all of the people that supported you being able to do the work that you do and just to, to go through, you know, like could you have, you know, who got your coffee this morning, who scheduled your meetings, who created that report that then you were able to present to the, you know, the senior executives that got you that whatever result that you were looking for, but really being intentional about coming back and reminding yourself how much you rely and depend on the support of people that you know and that you see and that you experience, but also many other people that you you don't even know, but they're critical in terms of supporting you and your success. And so that's, like I said, um, an exercise that you can do in the mind gym, but you can also just do that as a beautiful gratitude activity, point of reflection every day, just spend a few minutes being really grateful to all the people that support you in your and your success. Thank you. I love that. I, I read something a while ago, and I so I do have a gratitude practice, and and it talked about people who are continually grateful are also just happier. Yes, there is science to show that it's um, you know it really it really is. Uh, it sounds one of those things that sounds a bit motherhood and apple pie, like oh you know let's all be grateful. But from a neurological perspective, when we, ha- when we take the time to recognize and appreciate how much support we're given by so many people that we don't even know, it really does, from a science perspective, what it does is it makes us feel not alone because we know that we're not because so many people help us. And that mm-hmm. is because our brains, from a so- or we have a social brain, we are tribal in terms of how our brain works. It makes us feel more connected to others, and therefore, it actually does increase our happiness. So it's, 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 it's actually strategic. Uh, it, it's, it's, self, it's of self-interest to be selfless. Thank you. So, so let's now move to the third element, and that's compassion. What's yes. the science and the thought behind how compassion is a foundational quality that leaders need? Yeah, so specifically, compassion, again, a definition is the intention to be of benefit to others. So really looking at making sure, I mean, you're, you're kind and caring um, as opposed to being indifferent. And the reason why this is so important is it does get back to what we talked about earlier in our culture today of busyness. We know that people you know, intuitively want to be kind to each other, but I'll just give you in a little scenario. You know, how many times do you see somebody, or maybe you've even done it yourself, where you know you should ask, how are you doing today? But you really don't want to hear the answer. <laughs> and if you do mm-hmm. get an answer and they say, not so good, you're like, oh, crap. Like, do I have to now ask why, what's wrong? You know, and it's like this, this busyness that we, that we, 
that has prevented us from being able to have more human connection. And what we're seeing is in organizations today is trust, and you mentioned trust earlier, <laughs> trust indices are showing that there's lower levels of trust in organizations, but, but also in terms of social cohesion, we're seeing less connection between people. And so compassion is really about bringing that intention to truly care about others because getting back to what we talked about selflessness, we know other people matter. And at the same time, one of the things that uh, is really key is compassion shouldn't be all, oh, it's so important, you know, I'm just going to be nice to everybody. It needs to be combined with wisdom. And that's really what we, what we looked at and what we explored and what we heard a lot from the leaders that we interviewed. I love that combination. And, and I have used it in the past, but I didn't know the research behind it. So why compassion and wisdom? Can you share more about that? Yeah, absolutely, because sometimes, and just to give you a really specific example, if if people were to leave this interview and say, oh, I should just go be kind to everybody, and then, you know, one of their team does something, does something wrong, and, oh, I don't want to tell them because, you know, I, that wouldn't be kind. Well, that's not kind at all. Sometimes the kindest thing you can do for somebody is, you know, give them very strong feedback about their performance. And one of the things we've seen in a lot of organizations today, there's an avoidance of conflict because people want to be too nice, but that's just not healthy and it's not, it doesn't help development, it doesn't help us be able to learn lessons. And so combining a strategic approach to I really care about you and therefore I'm going to have the wisdom to be able to make sure I give you the feedback, I make the tough decisions, which could include things like you know deciding to lay people off. Um, that may seem unkind, but if that's the right thing to do in terms of the overall needs of the organization, it sure is better to do that with caring and kindness than the alternative, but it's the right thing to do and needs to be done. Got it. That, that makes sense to me. So then you talked about empathy and compassion and the potential dangers of empathy. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. Basically, empathy would be like if I saw you and you were totally overwhelmed and overworked and I stood beside you and I said, wow, you're totally overwhelmed and overworked and I'm going to have great empathy for that. And that that could be great because you might feel like I'm connecting with you, but it's not actually necessarily helping you alleviate the challenges that you're dealing with. And so what we look at in the book is that empathy is great, but it can have some downsides if we don't say, okay, I'm going to apply compassion instead, where compassion says, Maureen, I see that you're overwhelmed and overworked. Is there anything that I can do to be of benefit to help you? So again, that's the compassion and wisdom. I assume at some point you would offer to help, and there are other times that you would offer uh, not necessarily to step in and help, but maybe help me think through or, or stand back because you know I have a habit of overcommitting and this is an opportunity for me to learn from that. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And it's really stepping back and using that wisdom to say what's going to be the best, what is going to be the best interest for that individual, um, for the organization, for the team, and needing to make sure with every situation we apply wisdom. Beautiful. Thank you. So we're going to go on break now. This is Maureen Metcalf and Jacqueline Carter, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And the focus of today's interview is the mind of the leader, 
how to lead yourself, your people, and your organization for extraordinary results. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. This is Maureen Metcalf and Jacqueline Carter. We're talking about mind of the leader. We left off the last session with compassion. So Jacqueline, can you share a little bit more about both the research around compassion and also how we would build it? Yeah, so in our data, so as, you, as we mentioned up front, we interviewed over, um, over uh, 250 C-suite executives and surveyed thousands of leaders in all different countries. And it was really interesting our data showed that 91% of leaders said compassion was very important for their leadership, and hmm. 80, 80% of them said that they would love to enhance their compassion, but they didn't know how, which we thought was really interesting. Just like I talked about with mindfulness and, and selflessness, compassion actually is a trainable skill. We can train ourselves. It's not something that we're, we all are born with a certain set level basis of compassion, but it is something that we can go into the mental gym and train ourselves to intentionally look for ways to be of more benefit to others. And what's really cool, and this is because of something called neuroplasticity, which I imagine most of the listeners know about, but just to really understand, I mean, this isn't just, you know, saying something and setting intention. It actually rewires the brain so that when you show up with your employees, you actually have a brain that is wired to be able to to look for ways to, to, to bring more compassion and kindness into your everyday leadership. But just to answer your, your, your other question just around the research, 
It was really interesting for us because uh, we've always believed very strongly in the power of compassion, and one of the things that we did is we really wanted to get behind. What does the science actually say about this? And there's just a, a tremendous volume of studies now that are looking at organizations with more compassionate cultures and leaders. They have stronger connections between people, better collaboration, higher trust, enhanced loyalty, and lower turnover. And, and I mean, it, it makes sense, you know, like a compassionate leader is, is probably somebody that you would be more likely to follow as opposed to the opposite of a compassionate leader. Um, but in addition to that, you know, compassion organizations can just make people feel more valued and, and have more dignity and, and, and feel, you know, more pride about the organization and its culture. So a lot of, a lot of benefits, not just compassion just not being one of those nice-to-haves, but I think really, and this was what we found, is it's, it's a really strategic thing to bring into your leadership and to bring into your organizations today. It seems like an important message, uh, and I don't know the the age of our listeners, but I kind of grew up in an environment where compassion wasn't really a valued skill. You you were smart. You told people what to do. You were directive and clear and set boundaries, but there wasn't much on the human side of the expectation of being caring for our teams. So that that seems like an evolution in how we think about leadership. Well, absolutely. And I think the other piece, the other shift, I think that's one shift. I, I certainly, when I started out in, in my leadership journey, uh, the focus was not care about people. That wasn't it at all. That wasn't the message that I received. But I think the other big shift that's happened from a strategic perspective is that you know, around it when it was really only kind of 15, 20 years ago that there started to be this incredible focus on shareholder wealth and what is the purpose of organizations? Is it to bring returns for shareholders? And what we lost in that was a lack of focus on employee health. And I think that that's really something that we're seeing and organizations that are recognizing, wait a minute, if we don't take care of our people, we're in trouble. And, and just a, a quote from, from one of the leaders that we interviewed, Arnie Sorensen, uh, CEO of Marriott, and he basically says, and it's, this is the philosophy that we really are seeing as being strategic, he says, if we take care of our people, they will take care of our guests, and the business will take care of our, itself. And so this idea of focusing on taking care of your people, because they're the ones who are meeting with your customers, they're the ones who are determining whether or not your, your organization is going to be successful. So a real shift to what we call people-centered leadership. So if I want to become more people-centered, we've talked about the mental gym, we've talked about gratitude, how do I build in the capacity to develop compassion? The, the first thing is to always check your intention. Um, you know, specifically one of the most simplest ways when you walk into a meeting, uh, whether it's, you know, one-to-one or with a team, what is your intention that you're bringing into that meeting? And the simplest, and this is such a simple reminder, but a simple thing, if you walk in with a, with a mantra of how can I be of benefit to others, it really is a simple way to shift your, your focus to, again, being about bringing that more caring and that more kindness to be able to support other people. The other thing that we love, and, and this is just something that, again, it sounds silly, but it's simple, 
is really to bring in kind of random acts of kindness into organization work life, like just nice ways of, of connecting with people, remembering to, to recognize people for a job well done or, or asking about their families and, you know, and spending time actually to listen to their answers. And, and again, this, this seems so simple, but I think that, again, in a lot of our, our day-to-day work life where we're so busy, we forget some of those simple things that are so important in terms of human connection, collaboration, um, and good, good effective work practices. Well, and that takes us back to where we started, that it, we are, most of us, so busy that taking time to write a thank you note is, is often, uh, we just, that's one of the things we don't do. Or, or well, it, to stop and really listen to someone. Yeah, exactly. And again, the, the science around this, what it shows is that our brains, we are wired to see things that are negative in our environment. So if you think about it from a tribal perspective, you know, in our early days of our survival, it was much more important for us to remember those berries are poisonous versus those flowers smell nice. So we are so good at seeing what's wrong and the mistakes and the challenges and the problems, and especially as leaders, we're actually the ones that say, I can fix that, or I can overcome that, or I can do something about that, that it's actually neurologically hard for us to say, wow, somebody just did something really cool, or, you know, the absence of a problem because somebody anticipated it and made sure it wasn't a problem. Everything went super well today. I should make sure there's somebody I have to thank for that. Who do I thank? So to really bring in a real intention of, of bringing uh, a, a sense of caring and kindness and compassion and seeking out ways uh, to, to identify that is, is really, really, really critical. So it sounds like from a practice, how do I put this into place perspective, I could lock time on my calendar as an example, the last 10 or 15 minutes of the day to think through, and that sounds like a long time, but to think through, reflect on the day, what worked, what didn't work, so the basic, how do I get better, but then who do I thank and how do I go into the mental gym, which for some people would sound like I'm not doing anything, but use that time to allocate to really clearing my mind, being grateful, and taking time to think about who, who do I thank and yeah. where can I be more compassionate? Well, exactly. And, and I think the first thing is to, to make sure that, you know, do you value bringing more compassion into your leadership? And then, as I said, um, absolutely taking the time to, to integrate that from a, from a training perspective and then looking for ways to, to be intentional about that. And honestly, it is not easy because, you know, the, the alternative doing things quickly, just getting the answers as we've talked about already throughout this interview, that is the easier path. So, and I think that's really one of my key messages is this is the higher road. This is the soft skill that is actually very hard to apply in a day-to-day basis. And so you need that reflection time. You need to be intentional. You need to remember to do it because as the leaders that we interviewed said, they all agreed it was important, but they just didn't know how to do it. So you're giving us clear, concrete practices to, to not only be able to talk about it, but do things differently. Exactly. 
Exactly. And ideally, not only for yourself as as a leader, although that is extremely important, but ideally, and this is what we talk about in the book, is, is actually bringing it into your culture. So it's not just you, the only one that is mindful, the only one that's selfless, the only one that's compassionate, but actually making that part of your organization culture, which we think is, is just critical to, to being able to be successful. So do you have any stories about that have helped improve a corporate culture? Yeah, lots of stories, and it was really quite amazing. That was one of the things that uh, that we looked at in the book was really listening to leaders and listening to their stories on what they actually did to be able to bring more of these qualities into their, their day-to-day leadership. And stories range from, I mean, one of the ones that, uh, you know, has been around for quite a while, but it's still an ongoing trend, is, is looking at how do we manage performance. And many thought-leading organizations have done away with the annual performance reviews, but what have they put in their place? I mean, we know that it's so important in terms of our development for people to be able to get feedback. But a lot of organizations, and one in particular that we worked with, Accenture, they, they got rid of their annual performance reviews. And then they just said, you know, to all of their leaders, you know, have these have these conversations that, with your with your people. Um, but they didn't. For a lot of the leaders, they didn't necessarily have the tools to be able to have those conversations because those conversations can be hard. Um, you know, especially you know you want to be you want to be nice or you're busy. And to really be able to bring impactful conversations about performance really takes the time, the reflection, um, the intentions that we've talked about today to really to bring that to bear. And so one of the things that we worked, we've worked with Accenture uh, over the last number of years is helping leaders, helping their leaders be able to have more meaningful impact in terms of how they manage their, their team's performance by being more present, by bringing that, that more other focus, by bringing that kindness. So it sounds like you are seeing that, trend for mindfulness, um, compassion, and selflessness in large, successful organizations? Yeah, I would say that we, we, we couldn't find, we couldn't point to one organization and say, this is the model of a mindful, selfless, and compassionate organization. But it was so inspiring to us, I would say, how many leaders and how many organizations recognize that the way that we're working right now simply is not working. It's, it's not working as, as you articulated in terms of the engagement scores. It's not working in terms of it doesn't look like anytime soon any of us are going to magically get less busy. And so a lot of the leaders that we, that we, we spoke with are really starting to see, as I said, these soft skills, these, these mind training skills are really the core in terms of being able to show up in a different way, manage the external busyness, manage the pressures, bring a more focus on the human element of leadership as opposed to the management element of leadership. That's a beautiful way to move into the final question, and we need to do this uh, briefly. But what is the state of leadership and organizations today in about a minute? Well, I would say... Sorry, I realize that's a big question. Yeah, exactly. I would say, you know, one of the quotes, and this was from um, Javier Pladeville, the general manager of Audi and Volkswagen in Spain, and his simple, you know, if I had one minute, he said, leadership today is about unlearning management and relearning being human. And I think for us, that really is, you know, a lot of the things that, that we've spoken about today are intuitive, they make sense, They're, they are how we want to be treated, they are how we want 
to work in terms of our cultures, but we've lost a lot of those. And so a lot of this is about bringing back our humanity, bringing back our our caring and our kindness and our, our presence with one another to be able to support our best objectives and being our best selves. Thank you. So let's bring the interview toward a close. Where would people learn more from you, Uh, website address, more information on the book, any of that, anything you want to share so that our listeners can, can stay connected to you? Yeah, absolutely. So the best place to go is www.themindoftheleaderbook.com. And there you can find information. We're actually doing launch events in, in cities around the world. In addition to that, we've also created a global mindful leadership network. So if you're interested in these topics and interested in connecting with other leaders who are interested in how to bring them into their leadership, you can sign up for that network and there'll be ongoing resources and tools uh, as we go forward to be able to share with everyone. Jacqueline, thank you so much. And I just want to do a couple of quick points to summarize. So talking about the mind of the leader and the importance in this time of busyness and disruption that we really change how we think about leadership and especially leveraging the research both in neuroscience and from executives that we need to focus on mindfulness selflessness and compassion and Jacqueline's talked about both the research and some tools to help us get there things like going to the mental gym which is focusing on the breath continuing to bring it back selflessness focusing on gratitude and compassion the caring and wisdom both together in how we deal with people allows us to create a much more rich an engaged culture and a culture that centers on our people who who serve our clients. So thank you for listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I invite you to think of something that you heard from Jacqueline today that you can put into practice in your leadership tomorrow. As an example, if you don't do anything with, with mindfulness, taking that couple of minutes to focus on your breath. If you are not focusing on gratitude, remembering how how did you get through your day and how many people's effective work contributed to your ability to meet your objectives and your organization's objectives. So we would love to hear your feedback. I can be reached at info at metcalf-associates.com or connect with us on Facebook Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You can also join the Innovative Leadership Group on LinkedIn, and several of our guests are also part of that group, and you can ask us questions. We always love to hear your feedback and encourage you both to tell us about the shows and also about your experiments as leaders in improving your effectiveness. Thank you, and we'll look forward to connecting with you again next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.